I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, May 4th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a future in Mississippi without legal abortion seems closer than ever, according to advocates for and opponents of the right to the procedure. Then the moth is set to bring its signature brand of storytelling to Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I've been here since 2013. I've been out here nine years. That's Dorinda Hancock. She's a volunteer at the Jackson Women's Health Organization. We're prepared for it, but it's a whole lot different thinking you're ready for it and then when you actually hear it. She's talking about the potential Roe v. Wade will be overturned, the landmark Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion nationwide. Currently, the court is weighing a challenge to Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. A document leaked Monday night indicates a majority of justices are leaning towards not only upholding that ban, but fully undoing the federal right to an abortion. And I know it can still change. We don't know that what we heard yesterday is going to actually be what happens. But it was a jolt. It was a block going Well, somebody actually said it. (laughs) So, Sharon Lobert also volunteers at the Women's Health Organization, which is the only facility in Mississippi that offers abortions. Of course, it's devastating. Uh, I I think probably most people you'll talk to here aren't surprised that that was certainly one of the most likely options that was going to happen. And I know they're still talking about is that the final draft on all all of that. But so. Not surprised, but certainly pretty much saddened by the whole thing. Lobert does say she expects a significant backlash against a decision to overturn Roe if and when it comes. I think this has to wash over the population. People have to evaluate it, think about it, and think about what it means for uh, each of us and all of us collectively. And when that, that, uh, when people have time to think about that and put those thoughts together, there will be action for sure. 
The sense of creeping dread at the Jackson Women's Health Center is matched by cautious optimism among opponents of abortion rights in Mississippi. Terry Herring is state director of the organization Americans United for Life. She speaks with Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane. When I heard the news, my first thing was just my heart was beating out of my chest because I thought, could this be it? But I do think that um, the leak um, actually, you know, does make us all feel a little more reserved about our response. So I am rejoicing because this is what we had hoped for. But I am also measured in the sense that this document could be greatly amended um, to um, be less than what it, is, it, it, it appears to be. So, um, so we, are, we are very excited about the path forward in our efforts to end abortion. If you could speak directly to young women in Mississippi who may be concerned in the wake of this leak that the number of options that they have on the table when considering dealing with an unwanted pregnancy might in the near future be limited, what, what would you want her to know? Um, I think that, you know, an important message that is missed in all this is the importance for young women, young men, really older young, older women and and older men, to take responsibility for um, their own bodies. And I believe women have um, responsibility to protect themselves from becoming pregnant, and that is well within their ability. So I think young women need to take a second look at the decisions that they're making in their everyday lives and to, to know that the responsibility is going to lie with them. Um, so, you know, we have long um, said that abstinence is the best policy, especially for um, teens and uh, and those who are not prepared to parent. So just know that any sexual encounter can mean that you are either going to parent or you will choose someone to parent. The good news is that over a million couples are waiting to adopt so that while having an unwanted pregnancy can be um, very stressful, we can also be assured that every child will have a home. I unequivocally believe that that these uh, young women who choose life, even if it's because... Um, there are not there is not the opportunity to abort that ultimately their happiness lies in knowing that their child will live and it's very very hard and i know very many women who are dealing with the aftermath and the grief of abortion um, for their entire lives so for me choosing life and having young women choose life will be um, a good thing and not not a bad thing you mentioned choices sort of when it came to sexual encounters. What about in the case of rape? Um, actually, Mississippi's trigger law, which would go into effect following um, the reversal of Roe v. Wade, um, does have an, um, it has a life of the mother clause and it has a rape exception that is um, defined by um, a reported rape to uh, officials. And I think that it's important for women to know that if you were treated immediately, immediately following a rape, um, the chances of being pregnant are slim and none. So abortion has um, rested on 
uh, rape for far too long. I mean, the the women that are uh, even reporting that they were raped in abortion is is far less than one percent. Um, so it's like 0.01 percent, something very very low in consideration of all the babies that are dying from abortion that has nothing to do with rape. So obviously, um, the compassion that we feel for a woman who did not choose to have an encounter that led to the pregnancy um, is is very you know very compassionate because we know that that would be a difficult. Um, road to walk. Uh, we still encourage um, women to choose life, even if they're raped. But Mississippi law does allow an exception for rape under its current uh, trigger law that was passed in 2007. Terry Herring is Mississippi State Director for Americans United for Life. More on abortion rights after the break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing a doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A motion in the wake of the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion in the Dobbs case spilled over in New Orleans last night. In Louisiana, some worry the court's decision will trigger a state law that would ban almost all abortions. The Gulf State's newsroom, Shalina Chatlani, has more. Hundreds of people gathered outside a federal appeals court in downtown New Orleans Tuesday night. We must tell legislators and others to take the bands off our bodies. Loyola University student Claire Lyons said she burst into tears when the news broke and felt a range of emotions. Devastated, heartbroken, afraid. It's really upsetting, especially living in a state with a trigger law. The Supreme Court still hasn't issued a final decision, but if Roe is overturned, the decision would trigger a Louisiana law which bans all abortions, even for rape or incest. Abortions would only be allowed to prevent the death of the mother. Lori Bertram Roberts leads abortion rights groups in Mississippi and Alabama and says if the leaked documents are valid, it would affect thousands of people in the Gulf South. And low-income and black and brown or indigenous people will likely be hit the hardest. Everyone from Texas to the coast, people have to drive to D.C. or people have to go to Illinois, Minnesota. Bertram Roberts says it's still unclear now what overturning Roe v. Wade could mean for most abortion clinics. Some might shut down entirely. Others may just focus on other types of care. The Louisiana Right to Life group says the state is ready to be abortion-free, They say the state has resources to protect people before and after birth. Back at the rally, Amy Irvin, co-founder of the New Orleans Abortion Fund, delivers a reminder to the crowd. We have power in our actions and in our words. Her group is one of several funds raising money to support people seeking abortions. And they were doing it even before the Supreme Court took up this case. The clinics have always struggled to provide care. Not only because of demand, but because of the lack of providers. Irvin says the decision isn't final yet. Abortion is still legal, and the clinics are still trying to serve as many people as possible. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Shalina Chetlani. 
The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Leaders gathered in Jackson yesterday to celebrate the lives of former Mississippi Governor William Winter and his wife, Elise Winter. As MPB's Kobe Vance reports, speakers who knew them remember the contributions the Winters made to the state. Former Democratic Governor William Winter died on December 18, 2020, and his wife, Elise, died just seven months later. Winter was an advocate for education reform and racial reconciliation. Before his death, he pushed for lawmakers to build the new Civil Rights Museum, where former Republican Governor Haley Barber is one of several to share memories of the couple. I've been a Republican, he's a Democrat, but uh, we did a lot of things together, and I thought and think very well of him and Mrs. Winter, so I was glad to be asked to do this. Also speaking is former United States President Bill Clinton, who says Winter offered advice during his tenure as governor of Arkansas. I am honored to be here and reverence and joy to honor two people who kept score in the right way and it left them off in a good place. That's what we have to do. And Rena Evers Everett, daughter of Medgar Wiley Evers, says the Winters helped to break down racial barriers in the state. The beautiful Mrs. Elise Winter was like truly family as soon as we met. It was like we knew our purpose for meeting. It was not about business, it was about love. Former First Lady Elise Winter was recognized multiple times during her life for her volunteer service and the role she played in establishing Habitat for Humanity, Mississippi Capital Area. Executive Director Merrill McEwen says in the 35 years since its founding, more than 2,000 homes have been built. It hurts my heart a little bit, all the folks that won't know Elise Winter, because she loved coming to dedications, she loved working on houses. Advocates say one of the Winters' most significant contributions to the state was expanding access to quality public education. Kobe Vance, MPB News. Still ahead, The Moth is set to bring its signature brand of storytelling to Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Storytelling group The Moth, whose public radio show The Moth Radio Hour airs Sundays at 2 p.m. on MPB Think Radio, is hosting a live event Thursday night right here in Jackson. It'll be at the Alamo Theater on Ferris Street and will feature performances from five Mississippi storytellers. Meg Bowles is The Moth's senior director. We've been around for 25 years. We're celebrating our 25th anniversary. And, you know, we started doing this in small bars in New York City, you know, small places where we would invite people to just come and share a story. And, um, I mean, the original one happened in our founder's apartment. But in general, we would do these evenings where we would invite people to come tell stories. And it was really magical. And over the years, over the 25 years, we've expanded and grown. And now we go, we produce shows in 45 different cities uh, a year. And we go all over the world. We have prog- we do uh, education programs and we uh, do community programs and we have a global program. So, you know, really this idea of storytelling kind of um, touch something in people. There's there's this real 
desire, I think, to connect and to hear about other people's experiences, even if they're very different from our own. You, you see a lot of yourself in people and how they handle different situations or, or how they, you know, celebrate different achievements. Um, so I don't know, storytelling just became, I, I was kind of uh, amazed at how, how much it, this small idea grew and how now we do these shows in big theaters and people come because they just want to sit and listen. You're going to be at the Alamo in Jackson. What did you find out about Jackson when you researched it and was looking for interesting topics that would appeal to people? You know, I I found uh, quite a few people. I I don't know. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Arkansas. And there, I just the more I read about Jackson, the more I got excited about coming to visit. Um, it just uh, I, I just all the people that I've talked to have been so interesting and warm and just natural storytellers. There's something about the South uh, that there's just that idea of storytelling is so intrinsic to community and to to um, to you know just culture in general in the South. And so um, you know I found quite a few storytellers that uh, that I hope the Jackson crowd will be excited to hear from. Um, I you know I'm talking I have uh, Sorry, Jerry Mitchell, who is, you know, used to, it writes for the Clarion Ledger. And um, I have uh, Dr. Rashad Smith, who I actually found uh, reading about in the local newspapers there about his, he has a physical therapy uh, practice in Jackson. Um, and I was reading about him and how he serves his community. And I called him up. And I was like, do you have a story you want to tell? And he does. He has a really great story. So I'm excited about him. I listen uh, to the moth when I'm driving. Some of them are extremely funny. Um, And then others are sentimental and kind of sad. I I listened to one by the actress Terry Garr. And uh, she talked about the man that she was dating that she was playing to have a child with and was going through um, all kinds of um, hormone treatments to have a child. And apparently he wasn't faithful and she found out he was using her Mercedes and saying it was his. And she went to his home in Bel Air and broke out all the windows, even in the garage. (laughs) And the way she told the story, it was hysterical. It It was just hysterical. Do you find that even some stories that may have a serious tone to them end up being funny when people tell them in front of an audience? I definitely agree. There are, I've, I've had many situations where someone is telling a a pretty harrowing story and there are always these threads of humor that come about because it just, you know, life does do turns and twists in funny ways. And, and usually it's only in hindsight that we find these things funny. But I remember I worked with this one gentleman, Daniel Turpin, who tells this very intense story about um, a home break-in. Somebody comes in and robs his, his mother had a cleaning business. And so they were cleaning up, they were, you know, it was payday and this person knew that it was payroll day. And so they knew that there was cash about. So they broke into his house and it's incredibly 
harrowing. The guy's got a gun. His mother is, um, had back surgery and the guy assaults her even like right after her back surgery. And, and he calls the police. And in this harrowing moment, he's on the phone with the police and he's watching this, uh, this man run and he's telling the police what he looks like and he's getting into a car. And then suddenly he decides, I'm going to chase him. I'm going to go after this man with a gun. And he goes and gets in the car and he's still on the phone with the police and he's talking to them. And suddenly the line goes dead because it's a landline. It was one of those remote phones <laughs> that you use. And it was just so funny. I remember when the audience it sounds heard it. that because they're hearing, this, they're hearing this intense moment, you know, and then suddenly he's just like, and the phone goes dead because it's a landline. You know, <laughs> it's like, but it's this little moment <laughs> yes. in our life that when you look back on them, they're just funny. And, and, you know, maybe in the moment it wasn't hilarious, but, you know, it's, it's you know, I do think that, Life is that, right? It's not always all funny or all sad, or you know, it's, it's a it's a mix of all of all of the emotion. The audiences. How do you know you're going to have a good size audience for these? You know, generally we sell out everywhere we go. Um, if we have, you know, we usually have a good radio presence, and people know about us, and they're excited to see a show live. So we we do pretty well with um, with audience and. And I don't know, I think the pandemic, people are a little hesitant yet, because I mean, these are our first shows going back in since the pandemic. So um, I think people are a little a little more shy to go sit in a room full of people right now. But, but I'm hope, I do, the audiences that we have had shows for, you, you can really feel that they've been missing being in community with one another and listening to stories because they're, they're reacting to everything. They're like laughing at everything and they're applauding at everything in the middle of the story. You know, I mean, they're just so engaged and so excited to just hear a story again. So um, I'm really looking forward. I've missed the audience because for me, that's the best part of my job is watching the audience. Cause I work with the storytellers before they take the stage and help them shape their story and get ready and get confident before they get up there to tell it. And so I've heard the story several times, you know, so when I go to the show, I sit in the audience and I get to experience the audience reacting, you know, ooing and awing or gasping or crying. And I get to, so for me, the best part of it is, is really feeling the audience and being in the audience and um, experiencing it, experiencing them experience the teller, you know, and hearing the story. Yeah. Because a, a part of you is a part of this and the work that you put into it. How many days in advance do they practice with you? You know, it depends. Um, it depends on the story and the storyteller. Um, sometimes people come to me and they have a story ready to go. You know, they know exactly what they want, you know, what the, what the story is they want to tell. And other people, you know, will spend time talking about moments from their life that really stuck with them and will we'll kind of find the story together and that takes a little more time. And, and then, you know, we'll, we'll generally run once we figure out what the story is um, and we kind of figure out the, the structure of how they're going to tell it, then the order of things, you know, what, what their kind of stepping stones are. We then, um, we then practice it a few times. It takes two or three times before they get to rehearsal with all the other storytellers and get to hear each other's stories. And then, and then they take the stage. So it's not, it, it, it sounds a lot, but it, it actually goes pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, they, the big thing is, especially for people who aren't used to getting up on stage, 
is really allowing them the opportunity to feel confident and to remind them that they know their story. They've lived their story, right? And they're going to, any way they tell it is going to be great. Um, but just doing those run-throughs helps them, reminds them that they know the story and gives them the confidence for when they have to get up in front of a thousand people or 500 people and tell their story. All right. Meg Bowles, Senior Director with The Moth, and she will be here May 5th at the Alamo Theater with people from Mississippi who will be telling their stories. Thank you so much for giving us insight into how this exciting program has lasted and continues to be such a pleasure for people to participate in and view, listen to. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait. Tickets for tomorrow night's event are available at themoth.org. You can listen to the Moth Radio Hour every Sunday at 2 p.m. here on MPB Think Radio. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.